it is a, uh, a joy to be with you, again, feeling like we've just come back home. So many kind, welcoming faces, um, and then some less familiar faces. Uh, how many of you would be um, students in university or some school in the area? Any students? Let me see, raise your hand. Um, awesome. Okay. How many of you were students at some point? <laughs> All right, we got some of those. How many of you have moved into Ann Arbor in the last five years? How many? Five years. Okay. How many of you have been more than 30 years in the Ann Arbor? All right, okay. Uh, unbelievable. I'm in the category where I live of more than 30 years. I don't know how that happened, you know. I never intended to be near Milwaukee, Wisconsin for, I don't know. In me, I grew up traveling. I'll say about that in a minute. For me to be anywhere for a long period of time feels strange. Um, my dad hit the road when I was six years old, and when I went off to college, he was still on the road. So I'm a man without a country. I'm still trying to find one. Um, and Papua New Guinea maybe would be the one. Now, I, uh, someone said, you know, when you get there, uh, you're not, they're not going to let you go, and you're not going to be able to go back. And I said, yeah, I think that's true, actually. Um, and we're, we're excited about that. But it's great to be here and to see God touching your lives and this great congregation here. Um, my family is with me, and uh, we, we sang in the earlier setting. A couple more are going to uh, sing here in just a minute. Uh, but my wife and I, we have nine children, and uh, my oldest is right here. He's not with us today. He's the only one who's married. I shouldn't have said that, but anyway. Um, and he uh, is almost, he's going to turn 30. And they've got two, my, I have two grand children. Yeah. How, how'd that happen? Uh, two granddaughters, and uh, Elena and Mariah. Mariah's just a couple months old. Elena's about a year and a half now, and uh, they're, they're, God's called them to Africa, and uh, for the time being, they're in the Milwaukee area uh, and, um, and making plans. They'll be joining us in Papua New Guinea uh, short term, um, Lord willing, and I'm thankful for them. Many of you know my father, and I just wanted to mention to him, about him. Many of you know Brother Gary Gilmore. Um, he's seated there. Uh, that was his 80th birthday. And wow, he was uh, looking so strong. Then this, this is May. And, uh, and uh, he was there when the three of my children graduated, two from seminary, one from Bible college. And uh, you can see that he was not doing well. And he, got, uh, he had a prostate cancer and then a colorectal cancer. And he died this summer, July 28th, I believe is the date on that and um, July 26th, and uh, I, I just wanted to, uh, right before he passed away, he was able to hold two of his great-grandchildren, uh, um, and uh, uh, my, my two daughters, and I just wanted to mention, this was uh, a few weeks before he passed away, uh, we had a special family time together, I, I just want you to know this church, when you spend your life serving the Lord, death is not a defeat. Um, in fact, if you know Christ as Savior, death is not a defeat. Death is swallowed up in victory. We do pass through the valley of the shadow of death, but there's a difference between death and its shadow. We actually can have victory and peace in the valley. And uh, my dad, God was so good to him, he actually did not have any pain. He didn't, uh, even though cancer was you know, just, uh, we could literally see it coming out of his body, um, and, uh, but there was no pain, and he passed away, and I just say, God, Psalm, uh, I think it's 116 says, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints, 
And I learned this amazing truth that every angle of the passing of a believer is superintended with the tender, loving care of God. Every angle. And we do not have to fear that final passing into the presence of the Lord. It's a wonderful thing. God has defeated sin, death, and hell. And I do believe, as we'll preach in a minute, we as believers need to live free of the fear of death because we have a victory to announce to a world that is going to be in more fear of death than ever. And we have the answer, and we can display that answer. And on this particular uh, morning, I was with my father, and he had me pull this plaque off of his wall. And this plaque was basically, when I told you, this is about a year or two after we launched into uh, Dad's full-time evangelism traveling ministry, and he told us about this moment and this verse. And my wife, if you would come. And it was a neat moment when God had done something in my wife's heart and, and in our hearts in relation to this same passage of Scripture. I just wanted my wife to share that. First of all, I just want to say how precious it is to be here with you all and uh, to greet some of you that I haven't seen for a long time and just thankful for this church. So many memories. And it's exciting to see this church growing and God using all of you. Back in January, my husband and I were in Cameroon, West Africa. And while we were there, I was in, reading in Isaiah 55, and the Lord was just blessing my heart. You know, the Lord just stirred your heart all through the passage. And I got to verse 12, and I'll read that. For ye shall go out with joy and be led forth with peace. The mountains and hills shall break forth before you into singing, and all of the trees of the field shall clap their hands. And my husband and I have been praying for some time of just the Lord had laid Papua New Guinea on our hearts as a possibility of taking our entire family for a short-term trip, which is really miraculous when you have a large family. And it was really deep on our hearts, but we didn't, we, you feel weak in it, but you just, we just really wanted to follow the Lord's will. And when I came to this verse, it's so the Lord just, it just popped out at me for you should go out with joy and be led forth with peace and thinking of the mountains and the hills uh, singing and the, the trees of the field clapping their hands, thinking of souls coming to Christ and singing with joy as they hear the gospel. Well, that Father's Day morning as we were with Dad and he told us to pull down the plaque, my eyes just, when I looked at the plaque, it was Isaiah 55 verse 12. And I just looked at my husband, it was just a word from the Lord. Because dad, even through his illness, he has so, just been so encouraging. He said, go to Papua New Guinea, don't worry about me, just go. And, um, and it was just an encouragement to my heart. God uses his word as he's leading us step by step on the journey of faith to know his will. And uh, the, one of the last things dad said to us on his deathbed, we were all gathered around his bed, and he said, go win some souls. And that word from him, right in the midst of his really going home to heaven, he was moving us forward in the, in the vision and cause that God has for our lives. So I'm just very grateful. We could share a few other verses, but that was a special one. The very neat thing is that that was the basis that Dad launched out. He had planted a church. He'd pastored for eight years, and he launched out into full-time evangelism, no meetings, no support, a pure step of faith. He didn't even have a trailer or 
to, pull, to live in or a truck to pull it with. And for 49 years, God sustained Dad's step of faith. And it started with a pure launch like that. And it just paralleled our own step as well. So that was a deep and a precious uh, moment. Well, um, uh, Papua New Guinea is located, some of you were not in our first service here. I just want you to uh, just, uh, just say a little bit before we look to the Word of God here. Papua New Guinea is located north. It's the large circle to the north, north of Australia, east of Indonesia. We're going to the north side of Papua New Guinea. Um, and up on that little island that Arrow is pointing to is where we're going to live for a time. And then if you'll see the other arrow over here to the right, there's a river, the Sepik River, that goes right inland. It's really one of the major rivers of the world, well known. Um, and that is like a highway into the uh, unreached region or lesser reached region of Papua New Guinea. And you know the cool thing about that highway, especially in a land like Papua New Guinea, there are no potholes on that highway. It's just a smooth river. Um, and so we're really thankful for that. God says, drive that road, uh, get up that highway. And uh, so that's where we're going. It's a beautiful, uh, a beautiful land there. That's Mushu Island. A really curious thing about it, we talked about the Japanese. There's a spot, you can kind of almost see it, uh, that looks like a field there. Um, where, how did a field get on that? You know, and it was actually cleared as a runway by the Japanese in World War II. And uh, of course, that goes back now. Uh, in history, but that's uh, where they, they had a port right off that island. Um, it's a beautiful place. In fact, they're building a house for us right about there, a little bit off to the right, um, and this is the Sepik River. Um, houses look a little bit uh, like this, and the house they're building for us is going to be about nine-foot nine stilts up on a level like that. Uh, you can gather underneath it, a thatch roof, and uh, that's where we'll be living um, for and for several months, and maybe for several years, we'll see what happens. Um, but um, they're, they're very kind. Uh, there is fish in abundance, obviously, with the ocean. Uh, that lady walked up to us with a fish she just caught on her journey to the island, and then a few, an hour or so later, we ate that fish. Um, sago, um, the sago palm tree provides a staple, kind of like rice or flour um, might be in our diets, sago palm. They cut the palm tree in half and basically uh, kind of turn it almost sawdust. It looks like as they kind of carve it and mash it, then they wash it and it becomes kind of their staple food. Um, a couple different ways. One, you can kind of cook it in this way that looks a little bit like gelatin or jelly. It's always good to name unknown foods with familiar names that you like, you know. <laughs> don't name it foods you don't like that would just you know get help your brain make that leap um and so these are just clumps of just delicious jelly you know um so i i'm not you know at this point in my life i'm not a big eater and i'll eat maybe a couple of those i'm sitting next to brother callistus and i just turn and his plate is gone it's emptied like how did you do that he'll take one of those clumps and it's gone how, how do you do that um they love to eat and uh, and we'll have that sure many times right family yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of other sorts of things um, uh, we've traveled around been to Cameroon about 15 times and many other countries of the world so some of these things we're, we're familiar with which is a good thing it's a good thing <laughs> um, 
Go mission. What, what do we do as a mission? What's our goal? Well, we want to go. We believe missions is an adventure with God filled with risk and reward. You know, a lot of people never experience the reward because they don't take the risk. Right? Think about that. That plays out in a lot of areas of life. If you're not willing to step towards the risk, you'll never experience the reward. Missions calls for that kind of faith. We also want to lead movements. We want to believe that we believe missions is proclaiming and training partnership that multiplies leaders in churches. So by movement, we mean we're not the key. We're here to train others, and they're going to multiply. Uh, we believe that missions. And then our goal is to reach regions. We believe that missions is completed region by region as spirit-empowered believers gather and go in every village. Um, so we were talking about these regions just a little bit. I want to put another angle in front of you as we... Uh, this is kind of part of my ministry is a bit of training and talking about missions. And I want to put this in front of you, and I think you'll connect with this. In every region that God sends us to, there's two types of prepared people already in that region. The first type of people already in the region we would call a prepared listener. Romans uh, 15, 21, John 4, 35 talks about the fields that are already ripe unto harvest. What does that mean? That means as we enter a region, there's people already there prepared to hear about Jesus. Amen? They're already seeking answers they haven't found elsewhere. Amen? They're already asking the questions that can't be answered in their own religious background. And they're seeking for the only answer that can be found, and that's in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when we find them, they're ready to hear not people who aren't yet ready, people who are already ready, prepared listeners. Do you believe that that's true even in Ann Arbor or in the next community? And I know this is well taught here, but we need to remember this because this is what faith is. Amen? It's not what I do in the harvest. It's what God's already doing in the harvest. That's what I'm connecting to, and that's what gets me excited. And ultimately, that's what keeps me going. Prepared listeners. But there's a second preparation in the harvest not just prepared listeners but prepared leaders that means that in the harvest are the people who will lead the churches and who will evangelize that region and the next region that the key leaders in the harvest are not me especially as a missionary the key leaders in the harvest are the people who already are living there and they're prepared by God and will be gifted by His Spirit to be the leaders. Amen? That's what Paul did. Paul never imported pastors. He never called the Jerusalem College and said, send me a graduate. No, where did his pastors come from? From Galatia, from Macedonia, from Asia. They're there. Amen? That should encourage us. If the leaders are needed... God will supply them. Amen? He will supply them. How does he supply them? By gifts of his spirit into every believer's life. Do you know every believer here is gifted by the spirit with different gifts of his spirit that they are literally the way Jesus Christ intends to use you in a special way that will actually equip the church and actually reach the region. It's Christ living through us in special ways that are giftings, and we're all gifted. Some have leadership gifts. Pastor, evangelist, teacher, missionary, they're all there. Um, and 
And would we see the, and by the way, do I come up with those gifts? Do I gift people? Does the missionary gift people? Who does? The Holy Spirit. So is the gifting going to happen? It's my job to identify it and to equip it and to release it. Releasing it is key. So often we don't release the gifts that the Holy Spirit's putting in front of us and we don't identify them. So that is key. We need to find prepared listeners and then prepared leaders. Two regions I've spent time in, a quiet Cameroon, I've seen God do this, and now in Papua New Guinea. Here's a couple, here's one, I'll just tell you a story of Augustine. He was a prepared listener. He's seated next to me right here. This is in uh, Batomo in the bush of Cameroon. On a Wednesday night, he shows up. He and the one next to him, Philip, gets saved. I never saw Philip, well, I saw Philip again. He didn't, they, it was basically a passing moment for him, but not for Augustine. Just, he went out the next day, and the next day we were evangelizing four times over. We gave a clear gospel presentation, and he was right there with us every day on that. It was a Thursday. On, Friday, on Thursday night, he said, listen, you come to my side tomorrow. You come to my quarter tomorrow. I'll gather my people. The next morning, Friday morning, he's been saved for two days, and we come in, and that second picture shows the schoolroom filled with the people from his quarter. He gathered over 100 people. We preached the gospel. That day, we saw 60 professions of faith. Um, just a couple weeks later, Augustine, I was in a, in a market. Augustine shows up. He'd been gone for a few days. And I said, hey, Augustine, come here. These guys are interested. And he sat down there between some seekers there, and Augustine just made clear the gospel message. To this day now, we're looking um, eight years out, Augustine still oversees the church in his quarter. He's built a shed. He's preached the gospel. And where did Augustine come from? Where did he come from? Did I, did I make him show up? Did I do that? God did that. He was a prepared listener. Then there's a prepared leader. This is Pastor Ernest. And Brother Callistus, I believe, falls into the same category. These are men um, who have already been trained by others. But as I have showed up and shared vision with them, Brother Ernest said when we were together in April of 2014, we were talking he said, as we were talking, he said, God told me what he's talking about is for you. I didn't know that. I didn't make that happen. Who'd, who made that happen? God made that happen. So he's a prepared, by the way, think about the Apostle Paul. Did Apostle Paul, did the Apostle Paul come across prepared leaders in the harvest? Think of the number one. We think of Timothy. Let me ask, did Timothy, did Paul lead Timothy to the Lord? Now think about it. We don't know all the details, but we know this. From a child, thou hast known the Holy Scriptures. You have a grandmother and a mother who follow Christ. It's very likely Paul did not lead Timothy to the Lord. But Paul encountered Timothy, and he was a prepared leader. Amen? There are people in the harvest who already know the Lord, who will become the leaders when God connects us. Amen? And that's how multiplication happens. Already in the harvest, Paul, Timothy already lived in Galatia. He joined him on his second missionary to Macedonia and, and of course, uh, became a key apostolic messenger alongside of the apostle Paul. And uh, so we're looking at Mushu Island in the East Sepik province. Um, and uh, our prayer, let me give you one prayer request here before we, uh, before I have uh, my, a couple 
come and sing, and then we'll open the Word of God. Here is a very um, uh, a, re a remarkable prayer request, and that is for the visas for our family to stay for six months in Papua New Guinea. Papua New Guinea is unique. A six-month visa to Cameroon would would be received on request. You've got so many countries in the world, six months is not unusual. Papua New Guinea is unusual for a time frame or an age frame that some of my family fit into. And we believe God wants our entire family to go. Um, and uh, so there's a hiccup in getting the visa. Um, and we have made a request to the very highest level of government in Papua New Guinea. And we didn't come up with that request as far as reaching that level. A minister in the government is a friend of a missionary. The missionary said, if I came across this man, I would tell him about it, but I can't make it happen. I never see him. He said, if he shows up at church on Sunday, um, I'll tell him about it. He didn't show up on church on Sunday. He showed up at his house on Wednesday. And he gave him the request, and the man said, meet me for lunch on Tuesday. And uh, so at Tuesday, gave him the request, and the man received it warmly. He's a minister. He's a Baptist. He's a born-again man. He said, I'm going to bring this to the man who's the minister in immigration. I'm going to bring the request there and the request. And that man is also the deputy prime minister of Papua New Guinea. So the request has got there. Now, the deputy prime minister was just in New York City, September 23rd, 27th, and he spoke and addressed the United Nations. Well, a man addressing the United Nations and a family of 10 wanting to come to Papua New Guinea make you feel really, really small. Like... This, I am small cheese on this man's big desk. You know, why would he even care about us um, when these are the, you know, this is his audience. And so, folks, um, we, we're not asking the deputy prime minister. We're asking the prime minister of earth, of heaven and earth, to move and to supply uh, a six-month visa. What we could do is we could get tourist visas of three months, and then a second, leave the country, come back for tourist visas of another three months. That could happen. But that expense related to that is really uh, is, is, is challenging, as well as the time lost in a limited amount of ministry uh, time. So would you join us in a prayer that the hand of God would move the, the, the heart of the king, um, and that God would, God, his, his name, the pri deputy prime minister's name is Rosso, R-O-S-S-O, -S -S -O, uh, Mr. Rosso. And uh, the other minister is Mr. Uh, Pila, I believe, Pila, P-I-L-A. And uh, if you would pray for God just to move in their hearts, remind them and move uh, the hand of the king. We literally, uh, you know, we don't know exactly what next to move. I think I will send an email uh, tomorrow to one contact I have just to find out about what's happening. But uh, we're just trusting God to open that, and that's a specific request. Um, on the back table, there are prayer cards, and if you would just take those and just pray for us as we uh, seek to, to literally just obey the Great Commission. All right, let's look at John chapter 20. John chapter 20 here this morning. And uh, let's see here. I think you can uh, take that screen off or whatever you'd like to do. I don't need the screen at this point. John chapter 20, and oh, before we do that, come and sing, all right, <laughs> yes, this will be a blessing.
I would love to tell you what I think of Jesus Since I found in him a friend so strong and true I would tell you how he changed my life completely He did something that no other friend could do John chapter 20, look at verse 19. John 20 and verse 19. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. And when he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you. As my Father has sent me, even so send I you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and saith unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. 
Whosoever sins ye remit, they are remitted unto them. And whosoever sins ye retain, they are retained. Look down at verse 26. And after eight days again his disciples were within, and Thomas with them, then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace be unto you. Then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands, and reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. Let's pray. Lord, would you comfort our hearts and would you inspire our faith and obedience to the hour that you've called us to, this moment that you've placed us in here on earth, that we might be faithful and faith-filled uh, for your mission. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Satan has two key weapons that he wields very effectively. First one, I would say, is the weapon of deception. Would you agree with me? Satan's weapon of deception that uh, denies what is true and gets us to believe what is not true. And he controls that way. There's a second weapon, and that is the weapon of fear. Satan uses a weapon of fear. In fact, in Hebrews it says, Satan uses the fear of death to hold people in bondage for a lifetime. And if you were to describe the people of Papua New Guinea, you would definitely encounter people living in fear of death. The spirits control them with various taboos, things you can't and have to do, and they are not filled with joy. They are filled with fear, and if they don't do what they say, the spirits say, they expect someone's going to die. And Satan controls them for a lifetime. And to hear a man testified like we heard early in the Sunday school hour about no longer fearing the, sat fearing the spirits, Satan, that is the power of the gospel. Do you know that we are living in a world that has a spirit of fear that is growing in intensity? And the one who is going to wield and use that spirit of fear is the devil himself. He's used health issues to increase the spirit of fear. Fear of COVID? Fear of COVID was a weapon of Satan. And now health issues keep people filled with fear, keep people from making rational decisions, keep people from doing things they ought to be doing, and it's fear. Do you know that when we're controlled by fear, it is not God in control of us? Satan is in control of us. And the more fear takes over, do you know when a body of believers begin to make choices and decisions more out of fear than out of faith, Satan's taking control of that church. Just by a spirit of fear. We may confess the same doctrine, we haven't changed what we believe, but our decision-making process is marked by fear over faith, and who's taking control of us? Satan is. So Satan is not only controlling the world with an increasing spirit of fear, he actually is controlling God's people with an increasing spirit of fear. 
So that the church now is looking at various things politically or financially, and we're beginning to say, oh man, how are we, what's going to happen next? Look at this, you know, who's going to take away our... And in America, we've got a unique uh, setting for fear in that we actually think that somehow the rights that we have to be believers and to meet and so forth come from the Constitution. And we say, well, our, our freedoms are changing, our government's changing, and all that is something definitely to, uh, to engage. But my friend, our freedom to be believers and our freedom to be church, those freedoms are not enshrined in the Constitution. They're enshrined in an authority that sits above all principalities and power. And we have a right to exist as God's people, we don't just have a right, we have a commission to exist as God's people. To literally be His kingdom of heaven here on earth, displayed for a world to encounter the reality of the victory that's in Christ. Amen? And my friends, when the church of God begins to manifest a spirit of fear, do you realize we are failing to witness the very peace that the world needs? We should be an assembly of people who are free from fear. We should be a wel- there should be a welcome here that's filled with love, filled with hope, filled with confidence. We should be not marked by the fear that's out there and that is going to be out there for the rest of our days. It's not changing. The fear meter is not going down. It's only rising. But that doesn't have to be my marker that I partake of a different kingdom and a different king who cannot be assaulted. So our Lord comes here to the, to, uh, the disciples. Look at, in verse 19, that Jesus arrives, the doors being shut on the first day of the week. And why were they shut? They were shut because the disciples were assembled for what? Fear of the Jews. So here we find disciples, they're gathering secretly because they're afraid of the Jews. They just killed their Messiah, why wouldn't they kill them next, right? Did they have a reason to have some fear? I'm sure it was rational. Um, And there they are in fear, and look what Jesus shows up. He says unto them, what's he say, his first words? Peace be unto you. He comes to you, to his disciples, they're trembling, they're in fear, and he says, my friends, peace. Here's what peace is. Peace is a sense of calm and confidence. Peace is knowing everything is right with me and my God and my place in this world. Peace is being free from threatening or impending harm. Isn't that a beautiful description just just kind of breathe in the fresh air of what peace is look at that it is a sense of calm and confidence it's knowing that everything is right between me and my god and everything is right in my place in this world wow Peace is being free from threat and impending harm. What a word from Jesus. Peace be to you. And to you, and to you, and all of you this morning, peace be to you. May God fill your hearts with confidence and calm and hope. 
Take away the anxiety. Have a sense that everything between me and my God is right, between me and my world is right. I don't have to fear the next bad news. I don't have to fear the harm that might be coming at me. All of that ultimately is no threat to me. Peace be unto you. Why can we have peace? Look at verse 20. I'm going to give you three reasons why we can be at peace in a world of fear. Number one, look at, look at verse 20. And when he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Now, what had just happened to their Lord? He had just been crucified a few days earlier. Uh, you know, this is, this is a... Uh, this is a Sunday. Uh, you know, he's been just crucified three days later or three days earlier. Um, he had just been dead, and now they're glad when they see the who? The Lord. Here's the first reason, folks, why we can be at peace, and that is this. Jesus is alive and well. Jesus is alive and well. And my friends, he wants you to know it look over at acts chapter one just two pages over probably in your bible look at acts one and look at verse three here's jesus in the period of time between his resurrection and ascension look at verse three to whom also he showed himself what's the next word alive after his passion what's another word for passion death to whom he showed himself alive after his passion, after his death, by many, what's the next word? Infallible proofs. Do you know that the most verified historical event in the course of human history is the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ? My friends, we are not make-believe when we believe and rest upon the fact that there's a Savior who died for our sins and He rose out of that grave and that grave is empty and He is seated on the throne, folks, that is fact. Some people say, well, the Word of God, you just, you know, if it, if it works for you, you know, then that's good, you know, whatever works for you. And they approach faith as if faith is some man's fancy that he decides what he believes. Folks, that is not faith. Biblical faith is in the fact of a Christ who did die and did rise again. You know, we, we are living in a world that's making up what it wants to believe. I, I mean, crazy makeup. I don't even need to mention it. Right now, your, 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 mind's, your mind's already made a list. We're living in a world that is making up what it believes. I want you to know that when we, as believers, believe in the death and resurrection of Christ, we're not making up anything. We're believing the reality. There's a Savior who became man, who died for our sins, and on that, victory, on that cross, he gave the victory cry, it is finished. And the penalty of sin has been paid in full, and death has been buried in an empty tomb. My death has been buried in an empty tomb. Do you know that when you come to Jesus Christ, it is very true that death that was threatening you in the future is actually now in your past do you know that it's your death that jesus suffered on the cross i am crucified with christ nevertheless i live do you know death is separation from god 
If you've come to Christ, when you die, you will not be separated from God. You will be absent from the body and you will be present with the Lord. My friend, I, I want you to realize this. Because of the victory that we have in Christ, we do not need to fear death. In fact, death, our death, the actual essence of our death is in, in past history. You can't die. Someone could hold a gun to your head and blow your brains out and you would not die. Your body would die. You would be immediately living in the presence of God. Amen. You say, well, I, I, I'm afraid to step out in missions because of what might happen. Tell me, what might happen? Tell me. Tell me. List the worst thing that could happen. Tell me. Tell me about it. Well, they could, I could die. All right, good. God's got that one covered. You say, well, I might live 30 years instead of 70 years. No matter how long you live on earth, it's a short life. 70 years, 30 years well spent. I'd rather spend 30 years well spent than 70 years on the sidelines of God's agenda. Um, there, uh, Jesus is alive and well, and he says this, I am with you to the end of the earth. He's going to go with you. And I am so glad to declare that when Jesus died, he finished the work of our salvation, and it is complete. He blotted out the handwriting that stood against us and nailed it to his cross, and my friends, sin and death and hell will never touch you because of Christ. What a, what a victory. We, Christ is alive and well, and you say, you say somehow I, I just have a hard time. It feels like he's far from me. I have a hard time coming. I just want to ask, I just want to, I want to just challenge you with something. Say, Jesus, just talk to Jesus and say, Jesus, I've lost sight of you. I feel like I'm living as if I'm on my own. I've lost sight of your presence. I've got fear coming into my life. And I feel, and I want to just say this, if you cry out to him, the one thing he's going to guarantee to do is he's going to show himself to you. Some, there, we could tell some stories here in this room of people who weren't sure about Christ, weren't sure about the gospel, weren't sure about truth, weren't sure about themselves, and a moment Jesus showed up, and wow, you know he's real. I'm, you know what has to convince you? He has given you infallible proofs, and he'll do that for you. He wants to show himself alive to you. I challenge you, pray that prayer. You might feel like you're tucked in a room in fear, and God will change that for you. He'll show up. Secondly, look at verse 21. Then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you. As my Father has sent me, even so send I you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Here is a second reason why we can be at peace in a world of fear. And this is, here's the second reason. Because Jesus has a mission for us. Because Jesus has a mission for us. Notice he said, as my Father has sent me, even so send I you. You know when you've got a reason to be somewhere, it gives you peace and confidence? Um, look over at, at uh, back in Acts chapter 1. I love how this parallels Acts chapter 1. 
Um, look at Acts 1, verse 6. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own hand, in his own power. But ye shall receive power, after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be, what's the next word? Witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and all Judea, and in Samaria, and under the uttermost parts of the earth. Okay, this is a really curious moment, because the disciples, Lord, what's happening next? Are, what's, what's happening to our country? They, really, they were talking about Israel as a nation. Are you going to come and sit back on the throne? Are you going to remove this Roman usurper? Are you going to become you know, king once again? What's happening? Are you going to give peace to our nation, on our nationality, and so forth? And Jesus literally shut that conversation down. Isn't that what he said? He said, you're asking the wrong question. Because that answer is not in your hands. That answer is in my father's hands. My friends, you know what? We can get caught asking the wrong prophetic question. Okay, what's happening next? Are we going to uh, maybe, you know, boy, Christ's coming has got to become soon. Look how dark the world's coming. The Lord's going to somehow rescue his church out of a miserable moment, and we're going to be rescued, and then all the judgment's coming, and, and how soon is that? What do you think is happening next, Right? Even today, like when we watch this, and we can really get caught feeling like, okay, what's, and, and there's some momentous events happening, and we could be watching God do some amazing things, and that's fine to do. But God says, all that's in my hands. In fact, uh, while we're, just turn over to Matthew 24, um, because uh, on, especially on a day like this, when we're really uh, uh, just reminded about world events, um, and, and we have them asking almost the same question again. Um, and uh, in verse, uh, uh, verse 3, the disciples come and say, What shall be the signs of thy, king, thy coming and the end of the world? Wow, we must be approaching that. And Jesus said, he says, the number of things, he says, Take heed, don't get deceived. Many are going to come in my name. He says, deception's going to abound. Verse 6, you're going to hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye, what's it say? Be not troubled for all these things must come to pass but the end is not yet i love it okay look at these wars and these conflicts and he basically says that's not the end of the story nation verse 7 is going to rise against nation kingdom there's this conflict and then look there's famines and there's pestilences and all these things and sorrows um then verse 9 says there's going to be delivering up to be afflicted okay so there is increasing persecution and some are going to fall away um, in verse 12, and because iniquity shall abound, the love of many are, is going to wax cold. There's going to be a unique engagement in evil. Don't we see that in our world? And look, because of that, people are going to get cold in their love for the Lord. But look at verse 13 and 14. But he that shall what? Endure unto the end. The same shall be what? Saved. That, that, don't, don't think the term saved as in personal salvation. Think of it as in this. As God enables me to endure in this moment, and actually this has an application. It has application to us. It also has direct application to people living in the tribulation period. But basically what he is saying is, if you endure and you stay with me, at the end of the story is going to be what? Deliverance. Amen? He says, look, don't get caught up in the deception. Don't get caught up in the trouble of fear and, and all the turmoil that's going on. I got this. God's got this. Amen? That's what he says. You don't need to worry about it. I got this. 
don't get caught up in this, don't get caught up. He says, don't get distracted, don't get caught up in, in the material and the distraction of all the evil iniquity. He says, no, look, you stay on mission with me, you endure, because at the end of that is deliverance. And then look at the next verse, because this, this is the point I'm making. Look at verse 14. And look at this. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. Uh, just put this. Look, there's going to be wars and tribulations and so forth, he says, but the end is not yet. He says, then gospel's going to go to the end of the world, and then the end is there. Do you get the difference? We say, oh, look at all the trouble. Like, look at all the war. The end must be coming. You're looking at the wrong marker. You're looking at the wrong marker. He says, the gospel's going to get preached under the uttermost ends of the world, and that defines the end. Amen? Even in the tribulation that this passage would have, uh, have application to, I think it applies to us as well as a tribulation, but in the tribulation, you know there's going to be 144,000 Jewish believers who are going to go to the ends of the earth and get the gospel to every creature in the tribulation period. Aren't you glad that God's going to be faithful to the tribulation generation? And I believe it is God's plan to be faithful to every generation and get the gospel to every creature. And the end is not defined by the turmoil of war and man's strife. The end is determined by the proclamation of the gospel to every creature. And God's in control of that. Amen? God's got a mission for us. And, and listen, back in our passage there in John. You say, Matt, I'm so filled with fear. I don't want to go out and contact people i just feel and i just want to say that okay so it's it's outreach it's outreach evangelism it's outreach time or god's just calling you in your workplace to be a witness and you say i just feel locked in with fear i can't open my mouth and speak for christ and okay and, and others are going to do it i don't have the gifting and you're just going to sit back here and you're going to just say okay i'll just pray a little bit uh, for them but man i just can't and i just stay at home and i'm going to be at peace and I want to ask you this, is that how you find peace? If you sit on the sidelines and you're controlled by fear, are you escaping peace, uh, escaping fear? No, actually, you're guaranteeing that you're locked in it. You say, how can I get out of this spirit of fear that's come upon me? I am living more and more controlled by fear. I want to tell you, that there's a man in uh, Morocco, um, uh, an acquaintance um, at, uh, a few years ago, he got his family, his wife and children showed up on an Islamic terrorist website. He's serving in North Africa. Would that, would that give you fear? Like, we know where you're at and we've got you. Okay, we know what you're doing. And this man, um, he said this. He said, whenever I'm tempted with the spirit of fear, I do two things. He says, I get alone with God and I pray. And he says, number two, I go out and I speak to someone about Jesus. And you know what? That man is absolutely right on. Do you know how to break the spirit of fear that's come upon you? Open your mouth and start speaking for Jesus. Well, how will you, uh, how, how will that, this is what will happen. You'll take that step of faith and you'll start speaking and God's spirit will start moving. 
and you'll, you'll experience the presence of God. You'll experience his intervention all of a sudden. And you know what you'll, you, you know what you'll experience? The reason why you're here. And you say, wait, I got a reason to be here. And the world is caving, but I'm here to be a witness. And folks, the, this world, this community, our nation needs the church of Christ more than ever. And we must be a witness on mission for Christ. Then finally, look down at verse 26. And after eight days again, his disciples were within and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said unto them, said, peace be unto you. And here he is, here's Thomas. Thomas wasn't in church the previous Sunday. And it's a good lesson, I hope. I, I know y'all are here. Don't miss next Sunday, you know. Uh, eight days is a long, day, a long time to go, you know, in fear, locked down, because you didn't hear the word God had for you. So there's a lesson for you. But look at the Lord says, he said, finds Thomas, and he says, Thomas, reach hither thy finger, behold my hands. Reach hither thy hand and thrust it in my side, and be not faithless but believing. Don't you feel some tenderness from the Lord there? Here's Thomas. Thomas is making it a little difficult. He's not there with the disciples. He says, I'm not going to believe this news I've heard unless I see it with my own eyes, unless I touch him with my own hands. And aren't you glad Jesus stoops to Thomas's level? Aren't you glad Jesus steps up and says, Thomas, I know where you're at. Okay, you're trying to make this hard for you. <laughs> okay, look. All right, look. Aren't you glad that God knows right where you're at? I don't know who is the most fearful person in this building, but Jesus cares about you. I don't care what parameters you put around it. Oh, man, I got to do this. This has got to happen. This, I got to see this. I got to, if I'm going to get, if I'm going to, Jesus knows that. And if you just open your heart to him, he just might do what you're asking him. He, don't put parameters on Jesus. But do you know he cares? The most fearful Christian in this room can become the most bold. It's not a personality type. It's not a personality type. It's just meeting Jesus. And Jesus steps up and says, Thomas, okay. And Thomas just humbles himself, my Lord and my God. And then look at verse 29. Jesus said unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. And this is what Jesus basically says to Thomas. Thomas, I'm glad you're believing now. I want you believing. And then he says, Thomas, there's a better way to live. Thomas, you've been depending on what you see for what you believe. He says, Thomas, there's a better way to live when you at all, this is what faith is, folks. Faith is this. When all you require of God is his word on the matter. That's faith. Faith is when all you require of God is his word on the matter. And do you know what never changes? His word. Do you know if you're living by sight, you're going to be up and you're going to be down. You're going to be up. Oh, I get it. I see what God's doing. I don't see what God's doing. This is terrible. Oh, 
oh, he did it, I get it. Right? You're going to be up and down. Because if you can figure it out, you're going to be high. If you can see it, you're going to be high. If you can't figure it out, you're going to be low. And folks, there's a lot we can't figure out. <laughs> but there's someone who's got it all, not just figured out, who's got it all in control. And he actually has given us his word. And if we, if we put our expectations on what we read from God's word and we live on that basis, we will be as steady and stable and straight on mission as we could ever be. Listen, don't, don't take your headlines from Fox News. Take your headlines from the Word of God. Don't take the news channel for what's happening next. Take God's Word for what's happening next. And this, do you know that all of the authority of the promise of a sovereign God stands behind every single word in this book? God himself backs up everything here with his own authority, and no man can stop it. And if you're living based on his word, you are going to have a confidence, you're going to have a peace that is unshakable. And this is what God has for us in a troubled world. We can be at peace because Jesus is alive and well. We can be at peace because God has given us a mission, and that mission is on, and we can be at peace because God's word is unchanging. When we surrender our doubts and we choose to live by faith. Amen, church? May God, may God help us be his witnesses in a very needy hour. It's prime time. It's time for us to show up. We're here for such a time as this. This is our time. This is our day. We're God's messengers. Let's not be defeated. Let's not be discouraged. Let's not be on the sidelines. Let's be filled with faith and be ready for the moment God's called us to. Amen? Let's pray. Father, it's a privilege to be your, your messengers, your servants. Thank you, Jesus, for showing up in our midst, caring about our fears, and thank you for the victory that, is, that you have won for us. And thank you for the mission, the commissioning that you've given to us and the stability you've given us in your word. And Lord, I pray that you would scatter away a spirit of fear and you replace it with a spirit of faith and confidence and surrender. Lord, direct our steps in these critical days of mission for you, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.